This is the Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Why Is Everyone Yelling with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you're here today. This is a podcast for parents or anybody helping raise kids. Hey, if you have been listening to this podcast and are enjoying it, please consider leaving us a quick rating and review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. Take just a minute today and do that. That would be a huge help in potential new listeners finding us. Okay, I have a great episode today. This is episode 38, and I'm talking with Kevin Walma. Kevin recently retired. He's starting a new job, but he retired as the athletic director at Hudsonville High School, where he also has taught leadership classes. During his tenure in the district, he also taught physical education and health while coaching over 30 seasons of tennis, basketball, and golf. Kevin recently published the book, 30 Second Time Out, Navigating Through the Challenges of Youth Sports. Okay, and it's broken up into 30 little chapters that are so easy to read. I found myself reading one, two, three in the mornings, and it just took me about two weeks, really, to finish the book. And what I love about this book, okay, Kevin is a parent himself. He's been a coach and an athletic director. So he has seen all sides of youth and high school sports. And he has some really valuable information for parents for helping us navigate that and the way we can talk to our kids to help them have a positive experience. I was so excited about this conversation and I hope you get as much out of it as I did from talking with Kevin and also from reading his book. Again, it's called 30 Second Time Out and you can get that where books are sold. Okay, friends, enjoy my conversation with Kevin Walma. All right, well today on Why Is Everyone Yelling? We have Kevin Walma on the show. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Thank you, Lindsay, for having me. Appreciate it. I'm so excited for this conversation. Um, Athletics and sport is really something I'm super passionate about. And, you know, when I started this podcast, I knew that was one of the topics I'd want to cover. And so far, we've done a couple episodes on it, but never from the perspective of an athletic director. So I'm really excited about this. Well, thanks. Uh, It's not only from an athletic director, but a coach and a parent as well, as I've struggled with many of these topics that we're probably going to discuss today. Yes. So, okay. I just read your book, 30 Second Time Out. Congratulations for uh, writing a book during a pandemic. Yeah, thank you. It was, um, you know, you go from 60, 70, 80 hours a week in the athletic director world to nothing. Uh, I felt like I needed to do something. And so I had a collection of these that I've already started to write and yeah, put it all together during a pandemic. So like, were these like blog posts or where were you storing them? 10 years ago, I was afforded the opportunity to be the athletic director at Hudsonville High School. And at that same time, my twins were nine years old. Uh, and then my youngest daughter was six. And my twins especially were starting to get into youth sports. And I started to see from firsthand experience of some of the challenges that youth sports kind of gives to parents. And I struggled with some things. And so when I got into the new role, it almost became therapeutic that I would write uh, some of these, you could call them blog posts, and I would post them actually in our district newsletter, which went out once every two months. And before I knew it, I, when I got to the end of the, or in the pandemic at the, um, thinking about writing this book, I got to number 30 Wow! and it's called 30 second time out. And I had just had written my 30th one. And I thought, man, I'm going to put this all together at this point and, and write a book about the experiences that I've had over the last 10 years, uh, from the perspective of a, of a parent, of a coach and of an athletic director. Yeah, that's my favorite part is that you've been in all three of those positions. And one of my very favorite parts of the book is when you talk about how parents can be supportive of the coaches, the officials, the athletic director, and not only their own students, but 
the team as a whole. So maybe we can start there because I imagine most people that are listening are parents, most of who at some point have or will have children in athletics and sports. So can we just start talking about ways our role as a parent can support the whole, not just our kid, the whole of the programs? Yeah, I think it first starts with defining roles. And as a parent, their role is one of support for their child. Uh, They can't cross over that line to being a coach. They can't cross over the line to being an official because when they do that, it just messes everything else up. And you get these mixed messages that are sent to your kids. And what we oftentimes don't realize as parents is what we do and how we act is going to be reflected in their actions maybe not right at that moment, but later on in life. And so parents have to understand their role and their role is one of support. They're not there to fix problems for their kids because athletics is something that is going to provide a lot of adversity, which is actually a good thing. You know, I have conversations with parents and when they're going through a tough time and they're frustrated and I often have to have them reflect on the fact that this is a good thing, you know, that they're going through this, the struggle, this is going to help them later on in life. And your job is to, your role is to support them, uh, to be there for them, uh, for them. If they have questions, they can ask you, but it's not for you to jump in and and fix that problem because at some point they're going to run into a situation like that again, later on in life. Oh my gosh, that's so, so good. That's so true. I'm like at the point, my oldest is eight, my youngest is two. So we're two, four, six, and eight, or that's our kids' ages right now. And so I'm at the point where my oldest is like, you know, people are doing lots of sports. Like the the soccer stuff is getting more like kids his age are doing travel sports and things like that. And I've always been of the mindset like, I am not, for as long as I can, I am not going to just be a taxi cab and drive my kids around at a really young age. But at some point, you do get to the point where you want your kids to try all the sports and and find what they're passionate about. So I'm super curious, as a parent who's been there, as someone who's coached for a lot of years, like, is there a way to strike a balance? Yes, and I think you kind of hit on it as you were talking there. The first thing is to expose your child to as many different things as you can. What we often do is we expose our children to the things that we did Mm. and that we had liked to do and where our passions were at. And we forget that there's a whole lot of other things that are out there for them to experience. And I think you can do that without being in a car and traveling them around all, all over the place. And so that's the first thing is, you know, you know, I wrote a chapter in the book is when the door closes, another one opens. And I truly do believe that. And I, I would never want an eight year old to say all they're going to do is play soccer mm-hmm. because what happens, number one, they could get burned out. Number two, maybe they're not good enough to make a team when they get in high school. So what else do you have uh, for them to be able to do? Uh, my, my kids, and this is where I struggled when, especially my son, when he was eight years old, uh, he was asked to be on a travel baseball team. And I felt like, my goodness, we just got done with like coach pitch and T-ball was just a few years ago. And now we're going to be doing this travel thing. And you felt this pressure of like Mm -hmm. this hierarchy of, you know, my kid's got to do it if he's going to end up playing in high school or if he's going to get into college, whatever the case might be. And so I felt this pressure and the same thing with basketball. He was asked to be on like this travel basketball team at eight years old. And that that was hard for me um, to kind of come to grasp with. Are we really doing this? Well, if you fast forward, they're both in college now. And my son uh, never played varsity baseball and he never played varsity basketball. But he had a great career on the tennis court. He ended up running track. And the kid loves to hunt and fish. Mm, And that didn't come from me. I mean, the hunting and fishing, the outdoors stuff wasn't from me. He got that from a friend of his and his dad who kind of introduced it to him. But he was exposed to a lot of different things over the years. And eventually your kids are going to land on things that they're going to be passionate about. And it might not be athletics. And that's okay. Oh, my gosh. I love that. So did you, in fact, not do the travel? We did. Oh, you did and do it. You went ahead and we did it. Did. Yes, we did it. And okay. I guess that that was a part of it is we we did that travel baseball for probably eight years. Wow. And it got to where um, my son's, he was a pitcher and 
he had an injury and we knew that the injury was probably going to require a surgery that was like 50% that was going to work or not. And it, it's pretty sad when you're 16 and you have to decide the fact that, you know, my baseball career is over. Um, but even with that, I, I don't know where he would have been or if he would have even made the varsity team at that point. Um, but it just goes to show that an injury uh, could stop, you know, that career sure. from continuing on or it could just be a lack of interest or it could be just you're not good enough so that's always been my number one thing is expose them to as many different things as you can because I feel like our goal as parents is to get them passionate about something that's going to drive them uh, past these years of um, being in our house and being a part of youth sports and so on and so forth. Okay, so I almost hate asking these questions because I don't want to make people cringe. Like, no, I don't live my life in regrets. But as someone who is coming up at the age where people are doing, you know, like we did have an invitation. You know, they use that word invitation to make you feel special. And then you spend million dollars um, and give so much time, you know, and we we decided not to do it. And we, we are doing like a lower key sort of like, you know, we go about an hour away for a game sometimes. Um, Yep. But... Would you do it any differently as far as the eight years of travel now looking back? Or would you, are, are you just like, no, that was part of our path and that's what we were supposed to do. And it ended up working out differently than we thought. I wouldn't have changed anything. Okay. Um, because we didn't look at it as the end goal of being this. Uh-huh. We looked at it as a way for him to develop his social skills, which he was able to do to be a part of a team, learn how to be a good teammate, because we often talked about that at home, and develop friendships. And this did that you know, for him. Um, where people get caught is when the end game for them is a college scholarship uh-huh. or on the varsity team. And then, then when that doesn't happen, they may look back at that and saying, you know, why did we do all of this? Mm -hmm. But I really feel like all of that is good. And and all of that can have a, a lot of positives to it. It's just how you look at it and how you package it, um, within your own family structure. I mean, was it a lot of time away from home for us? And we dragged the girls along with us. Yeah. But (laughs) Uh, that there was also friendships that were developed along the way with other families. And so there was a lot of good that, that did come out of that. And so what can you control and what can't you control? And you can't control getting a college scholarship or being on the varsity team or making a team later on in life, but you can control being a good teammate and learning to work hard and discipline. And so if you focus on those things, no matter what you put your child into there, that's where you're going to see the benefit. Wow, that's so good. Okay, so you mentioned like your son got injured and then, you know, like if you're not good enough to make the team and I was thinking about that because, you know, my biggest passion in high school was running. I was a cross country runner and a track runner. Well, guess what you don't get cut from? The cross country team and the track team. I mean, you can not make varsity on cross country, but you're still running in all the meets for the most part. Not not yep. sectionals, but they usually have like an open meet or whatever. So, man, that you have a chapter in the book about that. Like what happens when your kid does get cut? Because especially if you spend so much of their childhood growing up, investing all this time and energy, and then they just get cut and they can't play in high school because they didn't make the team. What is our go-to response and action as a parent? First of all, I kind of outlined in that chapter of how difficult a decision that is for all parties involved. Mm. Um, As a coach, it's painstaking to know that you could be ending somebody's dream and goal uh, that they had to be able to do. And so it's hard. Cuts are hard for everybody that's involved with it. But my go-to would be you're not going to get every job that you apply for. Mm, mm Mm-hmm. And so this is kind of, again, a part of that experience of dealing with some adversity and failure. And it's hard. There's going to be some tears. There's going to be some hard conversations. There's going to be disappointment. Uh, But what can drive people to be successful the next time is understanding that everybody's going to fail at some point and everybody's going to fall short of something. But you got to get yourself back up. You got to dust yourself off and you got to keep moving forward. And also the understanding that it, it kind of leads into that other chapter of when one door closes, another one opens. 
yeah, this one may have closed for you, but what else is out there? When my son couldn't play baseball anymore, he did run track. Um, and it was a great experience for him. And it's something that he never did or even trained uh, to do and decided to go out his junior year and had some success. And so um, you never know. And sometimes getting cut could be a blessing. Uh, it doesn't seem like it at the time, uh, but you'll never know what it could lead to. Yeah, it's, it is so hard. And I do like that you mentioned that like as a coach, like how hard that can be you know I and as I was reading those chapters I was remembering um, a kid that I went to high school with because in the book you talk a lot about team players who might not be starters you know who might spend a good amount of time on the bench but when they're in and they're playing they're very integral part of the team and they're an integral part of the team while they're on the bench cheering on their teammates but I remember this kid and he loved basketball. I mean, he you knew he was always playing basketball no matter where he was. But up until even our senior year, I still think he was playing on the JV team. But he he just wanted to play basketball. I'm sure he would have loved to be on varsity and be a starter. But you could tell in his demeanor and how he carried himself, he wanted us to win. He wanted our team to be the best it could be. And he was on JV, you know? I mean, it, it was what it was. So, yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit, like how we as parents can influence our kids to not just like put themselves on center stage and think, what's best for me? What's best for me? Because what we need to teach them is what's best for the team. Yeah, it goes down to the principle of um, let's be 1% better tomorrow than we were today. And it doesn't matter where you're at, uh, because if you're 1% better, uh, even if you're the 12th person on a basketball team, mm. you're going to make your teammates better. Mm. You know, I'll tell you that the two greatest leaders that I had over my 25 years of being involved in high school athletics, one of them was that 11th, 12th man on the team. And the other one was the eighth man on the team. Neither one of them started. Neither one of them were all conference players. Neither one of them ever had their name in the newspaper. But those were the greatest leaders that I had because they had so much respect from the guys on the team because of how they approached the role that they had that they could say anything in a locker room to a starter, to our best player, and it spoke volumes to them because they understood how much they put in to that sport and not getting the same out of it as maybe some other people have. And I've always told that story that, you know, really the greatest leader that I've ever had is somebody that never – played a whole lot for me. Um, so there's roles for everybody. And, you know, you got to be, a, as a parent, you also have to maybe talk through that with your child as far as what role best can you play on this team? Uh, what can you do to make the team better? Because that's the ultimate goal. This isn't about you and this isn't about us. This is about all of us, you know, together collectively to try to create the best experience possible uh, for our kids. Yeah, and somehow, I don't know if it's always been like this or if it's heightened now, but like it seems that our culture has turned to like parents focusing on their child, their child, their child. And I think, you know, it takes a book like you wrote and an athletic director who is is sharing these stories that you're sharing to say, hey, no, like, like this isn't just about your child but we're so self-focused and I don't do you think is that like has that changed over the years have you always seen it no it's definitely changed I mean it's there's always kind of been there but social media has just mm. created so much more of this me mentality because what do you see when you go on there parents will talk about hey my kid took first place mm -hmm. in this tournament this weekend my kid went uh, scored 30 points in this game. My kid did this. My kid did that. And it's like, how did the team do? Yeah. Uh, so I think a lot of this mentality has probably come from social media. Feels good to put it out there that my kid did great, you know. But I, I often give that warning symbol of what happens when your kid doesn't play well. And if your kid's on social media or on Twitter and whatever, and they're seeing their parents are talking about them in this light, it's like, well, when I don't play well, Am I only, is my acceptance or love in my family based on my performance that night or that day? So it can be a really dangerous thing as far as the messages that you're sending. 
um, on social media in that aspect. And so I, I think a lot of social media has probably increased um, maybe that that self-centered. It sounds harsh, but that's that's kind of where it's at right now in some cases. Well, and I have very seldom because again, we know we haven't like ventured into too intense of sports yet. But I have I have witnessed actually coaches and parents like being mouthy to the other team and the officials and stuff and I'm like, "What what is this? What how has this happened? I don't it doesn't seem right." And so for that to change, we need parents to be on the other side of that. And is there a way that we can help change the culture if we're seeing that arise? Yeah, I had a I had a parent, I had a, a soccer parent, and we had some parents in one in our soccer program that were loud towards the officials quite often. And you know, I would write these, I would talk to um, you know at parent nights and that kind of thing, and it didn't really seem to send as heart of a message but when a parent can approach another parent Mm. it's way more effective so this parent brought suckers to games and she would pass them out Mm. and she said i think you would need this because if you have a sucker in your mouth you're probably (laughs) not going to say the things that you're going to say that's so true and you know what it worked it it was amazing and so you what you what i tried to do is create a partnership with like one parent rep on each team and they would be my go-to person. Mm. Like, hey, what's going on? What do you see? Anything I need to address? Anything I can help you with? And you create this partnership that kind of would help in, in that regard. But yeah, I agree. I mean, and what people don't realize is that we can't play these games if we don't have officials. Mm. In, in Michigan right now, we have such an extreme shortage of officials. The average age of like our basketball officials is 55. And if we don't start doing something, I, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to look like 10 years from now. And if you'd ask officials, why are they getting out of it? Or why don't they go into it? And said, why would I go do something for two hours where I'm getting yelled at? Mm. And so, you know, again, it goes back to what's your role as a parent? Your role as a parent is to support your child. Your role as a parent is not to officiate because you don't have any control over that. I often laugh like they are so upset right now at the officials. But yet, is the official ever going to change their call because a parent is yelling at them in the crowd? And so they don't they don't realize two things. One, it's it can be embarrassing to their own child to hear that no, their sure. parents complaining. And the other thing is like it's not going to change. You know, I mean, officials are going to make mistakes just like the players do, just like the coaches do, just like we do as parents. None of us are perfect, so there has to be some grace involved when uh, we talk about all of these things. I love when you say that we should all like stand up and cheer for the officials when they're announced. Yeah, we started uh, this year actually during COVID where we would announce each of the officials um, at the game and I would have this paragraph that would, you know, just state how much we appreciate them being there and I would, the audience or the crowd would would clap uh, for them before the game even started. Um, And I stole that idea from another AD in our conference and I thought that is such a good idea to do. We need to do more to recognize them in a positive light. Uh, so they feel like they're valued when they're there at the games. Yes, it's definitely an overlooked uh, thing. And I think everybody should should read your book because I think that little points like that, I mean, I would never boo an official, but I've never thought to like go the extra mile and like cheer for them when they're announced. And like, who doesn't feel good if that happens to them? They feel supported and then that makes them want to do their job even better. Yes. Hundred percent. What people don't realize is there's very few, especially at the high school and youth level. Um, these officials are not. That's not their full time job. Mm-hmm. You know, they're doing it as a second job, a second career. But what people don't understand is how passionate they are. I mean, these are probably sports that they have played in the past. Um, they just want to give back to the sport that maybe they played. And I, I really, for me, from a going transitioning from a coach to an athletic director was eye-opening because of the fact that I got to know these officials at a different level. I'd welcome them into games. I'd be in the locker room with them at halftime. You know, I'd, I'd talk to them, and I would see firsthand of how much they care. Mm. I mean, they really do care. I've had officials say, hey, do you have a monitor inside of uh, your uh, locker room? Because 
we want to look at a little film before we start tonight because there was something that happened in the last game that we just want to make sure we get right so it doesn't happen again. I mean, I, I get that kind of stuff all the time. Uh, so it's not like these guys are going out and their job is to mess things up. They want to do a good job. Um, it's just hard. You know, you're, you're talking about fast-moving sports where things happen at the blink of an eye and they have to make a decision. Um, and, yeah, they're not always going to be right, but I've never been to a game in my 25 years where an official has taken the game away from another uh, team because of a call that they've made. And there's just too many plays during the course of a game that occurs um, that contribute to that. It's just not one call or a couple of calls that's going to change the outcome. Yes. I don't know what coach you were talking about, but at one point you were writing about how that did happen at the end of the game. And uh, coach was like, yeah, we lost that that call, but we had like multiple opportunities to have not lost the game earlier in the game. It wasn't that one play or that one call. And that coach didn't blame anything else. They just acknowledged that the entirety of the game, they lost. And you know, by him doing that, you know, his kids never complained about it. His parents never complained about it because as the leader at that point, he set the tone of this isn't about them. This is about the 32 minutes that we just played. And yes, that one call came down at the very end of the game. But why were we down by two at that point? You know, we could have made a couple free throws a couple minutes before that. We, you know, we turned the ball over before that. So it, the I think the response was like, Awesome. And yeah. that right there does a lot of teaching to a lot of people. Yeah. And your role as coach is also teaching, just like your role as parent is also teaching. I think one of my favorite chapters in the book is the release chapter. And when you say one of the single most important things we can do for our children is release them into the game. So we're letting the coaches coach, we're letting our kids play, and we're stepping back and we're cheering for the team. So can you just kind of expand on that chapter a little bit and um, what the most important pieces are there? Well, I think the most important piece is, you know, when parents are been tied in as far as, you know, involved through travel and all this, they maybe have money that they feel like is invested. They have a tough time of just letting their kid go mm. and letting the coach do their thing. And because, what I really wrote this chapter is for those parents at basketball, volleyball games that sit in the very front row and talk to their kid the entire time. And in my mind, I'm, I say that phrase over and over again, release them to the game. Because if you don't, I don't think you're going to maximize their full potential. There's too many mixed messages that are being sent uh, by different people. And so if you say your coach is your coach and every coach you know, it can be different in their philosophy, but that's okay. There's growth in everything. You know, it might not be the same as what they did on their travel team, or it might not be the same as what I've taught them at home. Uh, but release them to the game just means to for them to experience it on their own. And then whatever happens from that point, as a parent, we're there to be able to support them, celebrate the successes, put our arm around them when they don't have that success, and encourage them to be able to keep going. And it really what it does, it just puts everybody's roles in place, you know, where the coaches coach, players play, and the officials officiate. And the experience is just going to be way greater if we're if we do that. Yeah. And I mean, I see why it's tempting. Like I've watched my my son play soccer and I thought, why isn't he doing this? Why isn't he doing that? But I'm like, this isn't my job. This is the coach's job. But I've had I've had to bite my tongue, like move up or whatever. Like maybe his coach actually doesn't want him to move up. I just think that. And who, who says I know anything about soccer that I played when I was a child, you know? Right, right. Yeah, I and that happens. And I, I'm guilty of that, too. I'm probably guilty of it um, maybe more than most because I've coached. Uh-huh. I, I feel like, well, I know more than that guy. I coached at the varsity level of basketball for nine years. You know, I'm like, but it's you're so true. I mean, what they have them do, we not might not know. Um, so, yeah, we can't be blurting out instructions to them because that can be confusing. Uh, and from that, they're probably not going to perform as well. Um, so I think it's just important, again, to just release them to the game and let them experience it the way that it's supposed to be experienced. 
I mean, I can't imagine being in your shoes, though, and like actually like knowing what it's like to be the coach and like knowing the game inside and out and sitting there and just thinking, okay, I would have done this differently because like you're actually in a position where you've you've been the coach, you've done the thing. So it actually takes probably a lot more to to stay quiet in that position. I've learned to be a good basketball parent. Uh-huh. Like I can sit in the bleachers, but I, when I sit in the bleachers, I usually sit high. Because <laughs> the closer you get to the floor, the more apt you are that you want to say something. And I talk about that in one of my chapters, too, just about you know proximity and ways that you can almost remove yourself uh, from doing something you probably shouldn't do. Because I've, I've seen it and I've learned that the hard way. But I struggle as a tennis parent. Um, I play tennis, I coach tennis, and I watch my kids play tennis. My expectations are just through the roof. Uh, And I, yeah, I I never sit with my wife. (laughs) Um, I'm usually about 30 feet away. um, And I really work on my body language because Uh kids can pick up on parents' body language. Uh And if they see, you know, my head down or a parent's head down or we're shaking our head or we got this disgruntled look on our face, then to sense the message to them that I'm not playing well, you know, um, and it's not going to help them at all. So um, it's yeah, it's it's not easy. Uh, it's it's not easy. I'm not perfect. Uh, and I, I want that to be known to the world. I I struggle with this like a lot of other people. Um, so I've had to try to come up with ways to be able to help myself, uh, to then help my kids be able to have the best experience possible. I love that you said that too, because, you know, coming from your position as an athletic director and being on the coach's side too, um, you know, it does make me think maybe he's just calm, cool and collected about all these things, but you are actually like taking the steps to, to do it well. I see that. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I wrote this book for me yeah. uh, first and foremost. And then, um, yeah, from there, it just became helpful uh, to to hopefully other people uh, because I wanted to be real. I wanted to be a shared experience. I didn't want it to be, okay, I'm writing a book because I'm preaching to you because I'm perfect and you're not. Uh-huh. You know, I, I really, the idea behind this is to be authentic uh, in the fact that, yeah, I get it. It's hard. That's why I called the book 32nd Time Out Navigating Through the Challenges of Youth Sports because it is it is not easy. It's not easy um, to see your kid fail. It's not easy for your kid to see them not make a team. Um, none of those things are easy. And so I, 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 whatever resources are out there to help people, um, I'm hoping this is one of them I can. Hey, everybody, a quick break here to thank Prevenex for supporting this episode of the podcast. Prevenex is a great company that has clinically effective supplements and protein powder. I take my daily vitamins from Prevenex. I feel like for years I was looking for the place to get my daily vitamin and I didn't want to just get some generic brand that I found at Target. And I finally found a place that I feel good about what I'm putting into my body They also have kids' vitamins as well, and my kids get a big pack of nutrient-dense smoothies daily using the Prevenex Neurofi Plus protein powder. We put lots of frozen fruit and fresh spinach and kale in there, as well as I throw one of the kids' multivitamins in as well. I feel like I can't always and I don't always feed my kids super healthy 24 seven. So this one little mini meal they get every day, I know they're getting just like a huge hit of nutrients and that feels really good for me. And then we also just had Annie's mac and cheese for lunch. So, you know, it's all about balance, everybody. Uh, Their protein powder is also delicious. I shake it up and have it with water right after a workout when I'm needing to move from one thing to the next fairly quickly. You all can save when you go to Prevenex.com Use the code Lindsay15, Lindsay15 at checkout, and you'll save 15% off your order. That's Prevenex.com. Use the code Lindsay15 at checkout, and you'll save 15% on your order. And that's Lindsay with an E-Y, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y. All right. Enjoy the rest of my conversation with Kevin Walma. 
Okay, so one of the things you say in this book, but I've, I've heard this before, and actually just a good neighbor said it to me the first time I ever heard it a couple years ago when you know my son first started playing soccer with his son is that the best thing you can say to your kid when they get off the field or court or whatever is, I loved watching you play. Yep. And so, you know, whether they play what you perceive as well or not so so good, like that's your main message. Like I loved watching you play. And But the second part of that, what happens when your kid doesn't play? And that's why I wrote mm. that chapter. Because mm. we've all been told that like, hey, I love watching you play. But you know what? Your kid doesn't always play. Some mm. kids don't play. And so what's the conversation you have with your kid when you don't play? This really came to light for me when my kids were, when my twins were freshmen and they both play basketball and in Michigan that's in the same season. So boys and girls play both in the winter. And my daughter started um, on the freshman team and played a lot. And my son uh, was a role player. Sometimes he got in, sometimes he didn't. Well, this just happened to be like right before Christmas break. My entire family was uh, on my wife's side was in the gym because they were going to play back to back. You know, the boys were playing first and the girls were playing next. And um, or actually it was the girls were playing first, boys were playing next. And my daughter played, played a lot, played well. It was fun to watch. And then the boys game started and my son didn't play a second and his whole family was there. And so to have this like, okay, we're treading on some like water here because thin ice, because what do you say? You Mm -hmm. know, what do you say um, to my daughter? It's easy to say to her, hey man, I love watching you play. That was a lot of fun tonight. My son didn't play. And so it really made me think that I wrote this chapter right after that moment because um, I didn't really have anything good to say to him after that was done. And so it really made me think and process of, what do you say? What conversations do you have when your kid doesn't play? Because automatically you can go to the negative. Hey, my coach doesn't like me. Mm. You know, I'm better than Johnny. And I don't know why I don't play in front of Johnny. Instead, you know, in the chapter I wrote, how about just talking about the game? You know, mm. just from the perspective of being on the bench, who played really well? Start with the positive first. Who played well for you guys? And how about that kid from the other team? He was really good too. And from that, you start talking about the game then it might get into more of a deeper conversation where they might bring up, because that's the goal. You want them to kind of bring it up and say, Dad, I don't know why I'm not playing. And that can lead into, well, what do you think? You know, what do you think that is? Why do you think you're not playing much? Do you, do you think it's you know defensively or you're not shooting the ball well in practice? And so it just leads to so much, so much more of a healthier conversation uh, when you can look at the totality, the whole picture of it, instead of just pinpointing the negatives right away and going there, which is a pretty easy thing to be able to do. It's so hard because you're so naturally biased towards your own kids, right? So like, we're all, even though we're mature, grown-up adults, like, you still get this like defensiveness to you, like, why isn't he playing my son? Like, just give him five minutes. Just give him like a few minutes of the game. Now, I'm curious, like, from a coach's perspective, what's your response to that? I think you hit the nail on the head in the beginning that we all kind of have our biases towards our kids. Mm-hmm. And so you, if you're going to have a conversation with a coach about that, I mean, the, the coach has just got to be real. Mm-hmm. You know, these are the things that I see. These are the things that he does well. But you know what? Unfortunately, you know, the person that's in front of them playing more minutes, he also does X, Y, and Z well too, where your son or daughter may struggle a little bit more in that regard. Uh, but then as a coach, I think it's always important to focus on the positive. I mean, your your kid brings this to the table. You know, your kid does this really well. And I love having your kid because he's super coachable. I think that's the greatest compliment you can get as a parent from a coach is like your kid is coachable. Because mm. if your kid is coachable, you know that he's going to be a, a he, he's going to be good in the workforce someday. You know, he's going to be a, a good employee for somebody. Um, so, just that's a great question uh and those are a lot of times hard conversations for coaches to have with parents especially if the parents really feel like they're so much better than maybe what they really are (laughs) (laughs) so as a coach i've learned honesty is the best and you just you know you gotta let them know this these are the areas that they're lacking at this point and um, these are areas of growth that they can work on and even with that, though, sometimes it's frustrating because 
you could improve in an area and you still might not be good mm-hmm. enough because the person in front of you is so good. I mean, I wrote a chapter about that in the book. My junior year in high school, I'd, um, I was super excited because I thought I'd be in the rotation and I thought I'd be, you know, one of the first people off the bench. And then this kid decided to come out uh, that hadn't played since his freshman year, but he was the best athlete in the class mm. and he was a senior. And I knew at that point, I was like, yep, there, I, I'm not probably going to play as much now because here's one more person, even though he hasn't played, he's a better athlete than I am. Hmm. Um, and sometimes those are hard pills to swallow in certain situations because it's, 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 it's hard, you know, um, knowing the fact that you could do all this and still maybe not get afforded the same opportunities because somebody else is just better. And that's so hard too, because like, you know, that's a, le- that's a, as a junior in high school, a lesson for you, like, yes, I want my team to be the best it can be. And that's going to be this like super athlete <laughs> taking that spot, even though I've worked my right. butt off for it. It's like Michael Jordan right. going to play baseball. Like, come on, man, there's other people here. <laughs> right. For sure. And and that's the mentality that you have to have is he's going to make the team back. Probably not going to play as much. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, I learned a lot from that. I mean, I learned patience. Um, I learned the value of a teammate. Uh, I've learned what a different role looks like on a team uh, as I was sitting on the bench watching these kids play. And so it, it, it helped me as I got older and as I got recognized that that's uh, we got to value we got to value everybody on the team because everybody plays an important role in this. Yeah. Um, OK, before we wrap up, I'm curious what are some ways that you think we as parents can instill hardworking attitudes in our kids when it comes to athletics? And I'm not just saying athletics. Like you said, your your son likes to fish and hunt and things like that. But just like, you know, like how do we raise hard workers? I know that's kind of a broad question, but that's something I really want to instill in my kids. Like, it's important to have fun, and it's also important to work hard. I think the first thing that you need to do is establish values. Mm. Because when your kids recognize values, um, they understand that all of those values are in control. They're in control of, and they can improve on, and it's going to make them better in whatever they do, If you if you take athletics aside. So... You know, we and our family have done everything from like a one word, like I want you to pick one word for this year. And what's what's good, what's super important to you that you want to make sure is at the very foundation of everything that you do. And then as they get older in high school, I teach a leadership class and I we, we talk about core values and what do you want to be known for? You know, what do you want out of this experience? And when you start breaking that down and you come up with some different values, those are the ones that guide your decisions. Those are ones that um, guide everything that you do. Uh, And so from that, I think you learn to work hard. Uh, You learn that uh, things aren't easy. You learn discipline. You learn um, what it means to be a good teammate. Uh, You learn compassion. You know, so I, that's one thing that um, we've tried to instill in our own family and something that I've done in leadership classes is focus on the things that you can control because when you do that, that's just going to help you in whatever you're going to do in your life. I mean, and it releases so much anxiety because you also are in a way releasing the things you can't control and embracing what you can. Because society right now is so based on winning and being successful and those are things we can't always grasp and control. So what can we grasp and control that can help us to be able to pursue our dreams and goals? Um, so that's that's the most important thing. Control the controllables. You know, it's always fun for me to talk to a parent who's like steps, like you're pretty big giant steps ahead of me in, in the grand scheme of this, right? My old, My youngest is two, my oldest is eight. And I know it goes by fast. That's like, you know, everybody's telling you that. The old ladies at the grocery store always telling you that. And you want to like just hold on to it as, as hard as you can. But that doesn't mean the moments aren't hard. And I'm, I'm just curious, um, now that your kids, are they all graduated? No, nope, I got one left that is going to be a junior in high school. But yeah, the other two are in college right now. Okay, so like... You're, you're kind of like in a reflection period, I'm sure. Like, what's your 
big, broad advice for, you know, someone in my shoes that's just those big steps behind you, but also right behind you at the same time? Yeah, it's um, it, it does go fast, a lot faster than what you think it will go. And you just don't want to have any regrets when you get to the end of it and wish that I would have done this or I wouldn't have said that or um, that that's been the biggest thing because this experience that they have is pretty short lived Mm -hmm. and it is so incredibly important as far as shaping them for the rest of their lives. I, I, the last chapter I wrote was called it's over Mm. and it became really difficult for me as a parent when the door was shut, like right now because of COVID, you know, when, when things shut down on March 13, my kids, Jordan, my son lost his track season, Kayla, my daughter, lost her tennis season, it was over. You know, at that point, the last time that I was able to watch them compete was in the fall. I never I never thought that when my son lost his last, last tennis match that that would be the last time that I would see him compete. And for my daughter, it was the spring before because she didn't play anything um, in, her, in, her junior, in her junior year outside of tennis. And so we cannot take this for granted. I mean, these opportunities that are afforded us, uh, we got to make the most of it for ourselves and for our kids because athletics and being involved in extracurricular things, uh, it could be band, it could be the fine arts or whatever, may not last forever, but the lessons that can be learned from it are, are going to last forever. And so we, we got to do our best to create the most positive experience for um, our kids as possible because it does go by fast, and you never know when that rug is going to be taken underneath you. I never in my life thought that sports would be shut down. Like, you you would just think, like, sports is always going to carry on, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it happened, and it could happen again. Um, and so don't take anything for granted, you know, as a parent or if, if you're a student athlete. I mean, yeah, talk about a jolt to the system. Like, you know, athletics closed down and you people like me have their kids in sports here and there, but like you're an athletic director. <laughs> like this is your world and your kids are in sports. So it's like, whoa, I can't believe, I can't imagine how much of a, a shock that must have been. Now, I know you just retired from your athletic director position, but you're still, I'm assuming, pretty young. So I'm curious what's next for you. Yeah, you know, it's... um been an incredible journey. Uh, the last 25 years has shaped and grown me like I can't even imagine. And I'm so thankful for Hudsonville Public Schools to afford me the opportunity to hire me as a teacher and, and trust me as a coach and then uh, provide me the opportunity to be athletic director. Um, yeah, I just took a job at Hope College, um, small Christian liberal arts school in Holland, Michigan here, uh, which has a tremendous culture uh, it's it's built on transformation, which is something that we tried to do at Hudsonville for 25 years is make everything a transformational experience. And I was once told uh, by some wise people that retired before me that in education, you're equipped with some skills and you can do a lot of different things. And this is something completely different. I'm not involved in athletics, but um, my main purpose was still to be able to have a connection with kids and hopefully make a difference. So um, I'm working in the admissions office at Hope College, um, actually starting on Monday. Wow, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. What What made you want to shift? Were you just ready for a new chapter and, and ready to move on from the athletic director thing? It's a really hard question to answer because I truly have loved, um, I've loved it. Uh, it is all-encompassing. It's very long hours. Mm-hmm. It, it can wear on you. Um, you're sometimes, a lot of times you're working a first and second shift job. I'll leave at seven 30 in the morning. I'll get home at nine 30 at night. Wow. Um, which can be taxing on your family. For um, sure. And my kids were great. My wife is amazing. There's no way that I would be able to, uh, do what I was able to do without her support at home. And she's unbelievable, but it just came a point, I think where, I wasn't really looking. It kind of came to me a little bit, like an interest, like, what do you think about like admissions? And I was like, I, I, again, I thought I only know education. I only know only the athletics. And then the more I started looking at it, the more I was like, there's some parallels here. And it's really kind of interesting to me. And I'm excited to be about a a part of a a Christian, vibrant Christian community there. 
um, and just a great college that I've had a lot of respect for. I mean, if there was anything that was going to leave uh, education, uh, Hope College was right there up on the list because I just had built a lot of relationships through athletics over the years uh, with a lot of different people there. That's so great. It's kind of cool too. Like, it's like a second career. Like you're kind of you kind of get to start fresh, and you you had this like big chapter as the athletic director. And now you get to do something different and exciting, but still hold those experience at Hudsonville, like so close, like so much meaning in both. Yeah. So cool. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, my next question, these are kind of into podcast questions as I usually ask people like what's something professionally or personally you'd like to do that you haven't done yet. And you're kind of venturing into something new, but is there anything else that comes to mind? I mean... I, yeah, I'm I'm in it right now. It's funny when you you say that question. It's like, yeah, I'm I'm here. Uh, I'm doing something completely different professionally. I mean, I think personally, uh, hopefully, I have a little bit more time in my schedule that I can get back into shape a little bit. I would like to, you know, make uh, exercise more of a part of my day. Uh, and so I'm kind of excited about maybe some opportunities to be able to do some of that that I just felt like was not there before because of some of the long days that I've had. So that would probably be one one area is maybe get a little bit more healthy uh, would be a goal of mine too as I move forward here. Well, I'm thinking like as you're talking and talking about all those long hours, I'm like, add your athletic director to your teacher appreciation gift list. <laughs> 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 yes, if any any of you guys out there have an athletic director, send them an email and tell them thank you because we don't get a lot of those at times. We're a lot of times we're a customer service oriented type job, and you get uh, more negatives than you do positives. Uh, and the positives really, really, really do mean a lot when they come our way. Yeah, because you're like you're the head, so like I think that a lot of parents probably have a lot of coach interaction, like all that. But yeah, okay, so I'm I'm taking notes for when my kids are in high school and they have or middle school or where whenever that starts happening. <laughs> Shout out to the athletic director. Got it. Um, okay, do you have a trip or an experience you've taken with your kids that you're like you have to go try this with your kids? We're a really adventurous family. Um, it's one of the ways that we've been able to connect with a job that can be all encompassing at times. And so we've been everywhere from Alaska to the Tetons, the Yellowstone, to the Badlands, the Black Hills, to the Catalina foothills in Arizona, uh, to Smoky Mountains, to the Keys in Florida. But the one place, and it came as like a trip that we weren't planning I mean, we basically planned it and went within two weeks. Wow. And we got in our car and we and we drove to Nova Scotia. And Nova Scotia is so cool. Um, on the one side of Nova Scotia, on the west side, you have uh, some of the biggest uh, tides in the world right there. And so being able to kayak uh, through some of those tides were just amazing. And then you get to Cape Breton and the highlands on, on the other side of the island. And it's just um amazingly beautiful with these coastal hikes that you have there remind me a little bit of california but yet way more wooded so it almost feels like maine a little bit in in that aspect but three four thousand feet you know above sea level so very very cool experience and i'm so glad we took the opportunity to do that okay this might sound like a silly question but where is that <laughs> so Nova Scotia basically is one of the farthest provinces of Canada uh, to the um, to the east. Okay. So you can either drive all the way through Canada, you can get it, go through Montreal, and uh, you can go that way. And that's what we did on the way there. And then on the way home, we hit Maine. So Maine's not too far from Nova Scotia. Okay, I love that you did it on a whim, like. That's my favorite kind of trip. Like, let's just do it. Let's just go. Is that in your personality yeah. or your wife's personality or did it just randomly happen? Uh, no, we're kind of planners. Mm. and But we were sitting around thinking we have to go on vacation this summer. What are we going to do? And we didn't want to fly anywhere necessarily because of the added costs. So we're like, where's the place you can drive? And I basically got a map out. And I was like, it's not a whole lot farther to Florida than it is to Nova Scotia. And I was like, let's do it. 
Um, so we did it and it was yeah, totally cool. Oh, that's so awesome. Okay. I'm going to compile a list of the coolest places people mention on the show and that'll be definitely one of them. Um, okay. What's the best, most recent book you've read? Above the Line by Urban Meyer. Um, I paused when I said that because as a Michigan Wolverine, you're not really ever supposed to read anything that comes out of Ohio State. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. But um, that book is amazing. Uh, I've actually read it a couple times and I reread it uh, just recently because of the fact that in my leadership class, especially with COVID this year, I really felt like there's a principle that they talked about there. And it's a simple formula called E plus R equals O. E is the event, R is your response to the event, and O is the outcome because of your response to the event. Mm. And I just felt like that was such a huge leadership lesson, especially going through the last 16 months uh, because, you know, people have been on one side or the other and it just seems like there's been more animosity, um, negativity uh, maybe in the world. And I I just, I talk to my students a lot about, okay, we had an event, what's your response? And remember that whatever your response is to any event that you have is going to lead to that kind of an outcome. So a negative response is going to lead to a negative outcome. You know, how can we have a positive response to some of these events that have happened? Because that can lead to a more positive outcome. And so um, that that's the last book I read. There's just so many good leadership principles that are in there. Um, and it's no wonder why Ohio State football is always one of the top five teams in the country, despite being a Michigan fan. <laughs> I laughed heartily when you said that because my even that well, we're from Indiana, but for some reason, my husband is like a huge Michigan football fan. And so really, the only reason I know about that rivalry is because he hates Michigan State or I mean, sorry, he hates Ohio State. And I never knew that. <laughs> yes. Like, I'm like, why is this a thing? But I guess it's a thing, huh? Well, my secretary gave me the book for a Christmas gift um, a few years ago, and it literally took me two years to open it up. But like, you're glad you did. And I finally opened it, and I opened it up, and I was like, this is amazing. Like, there's so many good leadership principles in here. So do you think it's like a read that, you know, like someone like me who maybe not be in that, who might not be in a field like that would still enjoy? Yeah, if you're ever looking at personal growth. Yeah. Um, and when you look at leadership, I mean, leadership doesn't have to be a title, right? I mean, leadership is about influence and we all have the ability to influence in different ways. And I think the book addresses this. I mean, does it chronicle through a season? Yes. And so is there some football jargon in there? Yes. Mm. But there's a lot of good things that, um, that anybody can take out of it for sure. Okay, I am getting my husband this book. Okay, for two reasons. One, well, I think it'll be funny because same same reason you didn't want to read it. But he won't read. He hates reading books. He reads articles and, you know, all this stuff all day, but he doesn't read books. And I, you know, he does have a team at work and he's into sports a lot. So I'm like, this sounds like the kind of book that like could be something he would maybe open. And even if he doesn't like Ohio State, sounds like this coach is someone that is a respectable guy. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh it's good stuff. Okay, um our last question here is what is your final message that you want our audience to leave with today? I guess I'll leave it with a question and that is what do you want out of this experience? From everything that we've talked about so far today is, you know, being a parent of a child in youth sports and again if it's not sports maybe it's in fine arts maybe it's in choir maybe it's in the band whatever the case might be but what do you want out of your child's experience and then I would also say ask your child that same question because it would be interesting to see you know as they get older and for how you uh, answer the question if it's close to the same or if they're on different ends of the spectrum um, because I think so often we say, well, we want this, we want them to have a good experience, we want them to have fun, we want it to be positive, but yet in our mind we're thinking we want them to be on this team, we want them to be able to play at the next level, and those are, again, mixed thoughts that are not going to come out um, the, maybe the way that you want it to when you have conversations with your child. So to be really reflective and honest with yourself as far as what do you want out of this experience? What's the most important thing for you as a parent uh, with your child going through this right now? That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Kevin. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. 
All right, friends. Thanks for being here today. Thank you, Kevin, for coming on the show. You all can learn more about what Kevin has to say in his book, 30 Second Time Out. I highly recommend checking it out. You can find this podcast on Instagram. We are Why Is Everyone Yelling over there. And we have a Facebook group as well. You can find me personally on Instagram. I am lindsayhine626 over there. And we have several other podcasts in the Sandy Boy Productions podcast network, including two running-based podcasts, All Have Another and the Up and Running podcast, the Urban Pharmacy podcast, which is a holistic plant-based nutrition podcast. And we also have the Illuminate podcast, where we share stories of people doing really good work in the world. You can learn more when you go to sandyboyproductions.com. Okay, friends, if you want to connect with me personally as well, send me an email. I'm lindsay at sandyboyproductions.com. I'd love to hear from you. Have a great rest of your day, and we will see you next week on Why Is Everyone Yelling? <laughs>